Welcome to Account-Based Marketing. This podcast is designed as a collection of conversations with sales and marketing leaders, sharing thoughts and practical tips for becoming more customer-centric and accelerating revenue growth. Hosted by me, Alicia Linden, CEO at Momentum ITSMA, a global B2B growth consultancy and advisory firm. For this episode, I'm joined by three experts at Momentum ITSMA to discuss the latest findings from the Customer Buying Index. CBX, what buyers expect from sales and marketing teams together with what's working when it comes to driving revenue growth. CBX is a long-standing research study. It's conducted every six months with the C-suite decision makers from across the global 2000 on investment decisions of over $500,000. CBX provides a rolling pulse of how executives engage suppliers, changes in buying processes, and identifies the most effective activities leading to revenue. And given how dramatically buying cycles are shifting, it's really critical to know what's working, what isn't, and what's next when it comes to growth strategies. So I'd love to ask for each of our experts to introduce themselves and share their top highlights of uh, what the research is telling them. Robert, can you kick us off? Yeah, sure. Um, Thanks, Alicia. Um, So uh, I'm Robert Hollier, a partner at Momentum ITSMA. I've been very intimately involved in CBX. Uh, I think one of the standout insights from the most recent uh, CBX pulse uh, in late 2022 was the changing priorities that business executives are facing. So what we uncovered was, uh, I guess, three themes you know, surging to the top. Uh, one of them was around improving customer experience. Second one was around uh, managing cyber risk um, effectively. Uh, and the third was around this issue of talent acquisition and dealing with talent um, attrition. So, you know, th- those themes have been there before in previous surveys, but they are now very clearly established at the, the kind of top of the list. So we're seeing a kind of ch- a pivoting, a changing in terms of the priorities that um, executive buyers are thinking about and focusing on. Interesting. Thanks, Robert. I, I know lots of us are nodding along and can, can relate to that changing set of priorities. Um, Julie, it'd be fantastic if you could uh, in- introduce a, a bit about you and what, what the research is telling you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Alicia. So I'm Julie Schwartz. I'm the Senior VP of Research here at Momentum ITSMA. And I've been doing this research for 25 plus years. And I always love to see how things are changing. And this second wave we did in 2022, we focused a lot on how executives are engaging with content. And one of the things that I I really stood out for me is why they use that content. And I think it's really helpful to keep this in the back of your mind as you're creating content. They're using the content to help them make better decisions and inform their business planning, which means that you can really think about the kinds of tools and and ways of presenting the content to help them make better decisions. Definitely one to, to bear in mind for, for everybody who, you know, all of us are producing content ultimately and, and engaging with, with customers. Great great to have you with us, Julian, and also reflecting back on you know, 25 years of, of the research and, and uh, pointing to some, some key trends and shifts. And we're also joined by Adam Bennington. Thank you, Alicia. Yes, hello. Um, I'm Adam Bennington. I'm the uh, head of consulting at Momentum. There are a number of standout insights in um, our most recent CBX report. Um, I think the, the the one that stood out for me the most is the amount of time that executives are dedicating in a typical week to consuming external content. We're now tracking them consuming 13 hours 
of external content being consumed, which I think is a staggering amount of time for uh, for consumption and absorption uh, of all sorts of insights that are going to help support and drive the, uh, the types of decisions that Julie was just touching on. And I think further to that, the, the content archetypes that they're using to take that insight intake, we're tracking a 56% uplift in video consumption. That's their most popular format of content to consume. So um, yeah, they're, they're, they're hungry for content and they're hungry for visual content. Always reminds me uh, when I first heard, heard the latest wave of research, that brilliant Jerry Seinfeld quote of him speaking to, to the Wall Street Journal there's no such thing as an attention span. There is only the quality of what you're viewing. And I think this whole idea of attention span, you know, could, could be a bit of a mis, misnomer here. I mean, people have an infinite attention if, if you are entertaining them. And I'd love, Robert, for you to get, get your thoughts on why we all underplay the role of content and, and what does it mean in terms of how sales and marketing teams are engaging with their customers? Uh, yeah, so I think just you know, building on points that Julie and Adam were making um, we're seeing that executives are spending you know, significantly more time on external uh, content from providers than they were before the pandemic, which I think in itself is, is interesting. But I think what's more striking is the emergence of a kind of halo effect here. In other words, good, good content really gives the buyer a, a positive impression um, of you as the provider. So the quality of your content uh, translates into a positive impact on the customer. Now, we've we've heard this anecdotally many, many times over the years, but now we have data that really points to this halo effect um, as being quite a significant impact uh, on buying decisions. And I guess thinking about you know, why, why are people consuming more content, as Adam was just saying, I think that's all to do with the fact that the, the world is changing. Uh, start of 2022, we were talking about supply chain issues, uh, the Great Resignation. As we go into 2023, we're talking about uh, inflation and energy security. So, you know, enormous tectonic shifts going on in the business world. And the key question that I hear uh, from clients that their customers are asking is, you know, how do I grow my business? You know, I don't want to be spending budget on business as usual. Uh, I want to be uh, investing in strategic um, innovation. And these are not trivial questions. You know, in lots of ways, they are, uh, you know, computationally intractable, very, very hard to know what the best solution is. And that, I think, is driving in a volatile, turbulent world. That is driving this, this appetite for more and better content um, from providers. Fantastic. And and Robert, what do you think it means for sales and marketing teams? Do they need to up the ante in terms of the the quality and the innovation themes and and, and the messages that are coming across in terms of challenging the status quo? Or does it mean something different? I think that uh, definitely there is a uh, scope for what what I guess historically has been referred to as, as challenger um, positioning, so if you like, c- coming to the customer with ideas that the customer perhaps wasn't aware of before. But I think what we're also seeing in the in the most recent CBX is um, a desire for you know a very short term focus on you know, what what can I do today 
what can I do in the next year, but also a desire for a longer term, more aspirational comment too. So I think customers are really looking for illumination, enlightenment, help from their providers, and they're partnering with providers in perhaps a, a deeper and more collaborative way. So I think that's the that's the call to action for sales and marketing is how, how do you respond to customers with perhaps new Uh, different requirements how do you kind of meet those expectations and really help your customers move move forward and julie i'm hoping you can answer that that exact question you know everyone's talking about this silver bullet in content what what content is actually working in in buying cycles yeah i get that question all the time you know i momentum itsma members and clients are always asking me what kind of content works best you they want to know whether it's research data, case studies, competitive comparisons, solution features, and so on and so forth. And they also want to know what formats and channels for delivery work best. You know, things like the video that Adam mentioned, uh, the podcasts, in-person events, blog posts, those types of things. And th- the answer is really all of the above. You know, there is no silver bullet. Every executive has their own preference for the types of content that they find most useful. However, in the CBX, buyers do tell us what kinds of content impresses them the most. So first, it has to be relevant to their specific business problems and opportunities. Uh, They prefer, we see, multimedia content, and it has to have high quality layout and graphics. And in addition, they want data and in-depth analysis. And at the same time, uh, we also see that there's a a rise in the desire for bite-sized content. So again, it's all of the above, uh, you know, and it's it's no surprise we've been talking about uh, the rise of bite-sized content for years, but we're finally seeing that preference come through in the CBX data. But Alicia, you were also talking about attention spans. You know, the, the idea is people say humans have a, a, a smaller attention span than a goldfish. It's just simply not true. And our data proves that people will spend more than eight seconds with our content. But that said, you know, it's really challenging to capture and sustain attention, especially undivided attention. We see in our data that executives want to read, they want to listen to, and they want to watch content. But the content that's going to sustain their attention is interactive content that is really multi-sensory. And so the, it's the best content is when you can combine that desire for the bite-sized content with the research data and the in-depth analysis. So people can pick and choose what it is they want to do and what they want to look at and dig deeper. So make it multi-format, leveraged data and and depth of analysis and and also make it bite-sized. I think some really great advice there. I'm just going to shift gears now and would love, you know, we've talked a little bit about data. Would love to uh, just chat through one of the biggest surprises for me from CBX, which was this idea of human interactions coming in all the way through the buying cycle. Robert, what's your view on this in terms of key, you know, key buying stages? And explain to me how you think about, you know, which tactics are going to help help me, our customers win at, at every stage. I, I agree, Alicia. This was um, a, a surprise. I think during the pandemic, there was a lot of chatter around the idea that maybe customers might prefer a, a digital-only buying journey. Now, that might that might be true if you're buying a kind of commodity product like a photocopier, but it's certainly not true for complex uh, strategic decisions. Um, so I think that the the, the challenge is, as, again, to, to Julie's point, it, it is a challenge. The challenge is that digital does remain important. 
uh, not least because the customers you're trying to talk to are not always at their desk in the office. They're, you know, they're, they're in a hybrid world. So, so getting those digital channels working, for example, social media, according to our data, social media is a very effective channel right through the buying cycle from kind of start to finish. But also to amplify your point, um, human touches are absolutely critical. And, you know, and this, this goes beyond the old cliche that you know, people like to buy from people. And I think there are three things I would like to emphasize here in terms of practical recommendations. First one is don't undervalue your account rep or your account exec or whatever you call them. Uh, The CBX data says that talking to your account rep is typically one of the very first things that enterprises do when they start the buying cycle. So make sure your account rep uh, is equipped to really capitalize upon that kind of prime position on the on the starting grid second point is around uh, your executives Uh, engagement with your executives is one of the most important ways that you can actually build and foster trust with your customers and keep them coming back for more at a time when i think people are thinking about you know how do we lock down on how do we defend and even grow our existing accounts i think your executives have a really important part to play there um, and the third point is around you know, in-person visits to executive buying centers um, or innovation centers that go by various names. And this, for me, was a, a real surprise. I've, I've always thought of those as being kind of nice to do, kind of extra ornamental things to add to a process. But it seems that they actually are a, a very effective mechanism, again, through different stages of the buying cycle uh, to really engage your customer uh, in, a, in, a, in a deeper way. And again, it comes back to that, uh, you know, giving people access to your your people, your your subject matter experts, your executives, and so on. So, you know, I think that the key takeaway for me was that you've got to balance the digital and the human. You've got to orchestrate multiple channels, as Julie was saying, and you've got to find you know, ways to you know, harmonize different engagement uh, methods uh, right through the cycle to support your customers. Yeah, very interesting. I, I think when you, we we talked um, on this podcast a few months ago, we we explored the idea of team selling, and how organisations have gone from individual account execs and and that, that they're leading the sale to actually playing in execs, playing in um, subject matter experts from across their business. But this this feels like team selling on steroids with with orchestration across those those digital touch points as well. Given that you know rehumanizing the buying process is clearly a role to play here and I'd love to get your take Adam you know what what are the biggest challenges in in organizations really adopting that human digital um, orchestration cha- challenge or the gauntlet that Robert's just laid down yeah um, I think sort of rehumanizing the engagement process really means having a, a renewed appreciation of what an effective value exchange brings to these engagements and tactics whether they're digital or or otherwise. And I I think we should be encouraging all ABM efforts to be seen as as an opportunity to offer a greater or a different or an unexpected exchange of value to the customer or the stakeholder. And um, the onus is on making those value exchanges intrinsically human. And I think that in itself means those exchanges need to be relevant. They need to be timely. They need to be meaningful. They need to be well thought through. And they've got to be personal and considerate to the individual, their role in the enterprise and their context in the enterprise. And I think if the purpose of your program is to forge and sustain 
constant engagement and conversation with a discrete audience, you're going to have to find a way to channel and channel sustainably repeat value exchanges at every opportunity and at every touch point in a way that resonates to the human at the other end of it. That inevitably is going to place a heavy dependency on knowing the target audience and and their environment and having a a rich vein of insight into them and also appreciating their value to you and and to your business and your growth mission across the account or across the cluster. So I think we're going to see vendors needing to be prepared to invest in really diverse and creative experiences that can differentiate and ideally delight the, the, the end audience and they need to be ready. It's it's not just about having a plan and having a strategy. It's about being ready to react when the opportunity prevents itself. So I think the two key takeouts I'd 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 want to reinforce is this this idea of a value appreciation of the audience. What's it worth to have them engaged emotionally as well as rationally in your proposition? And secondly, to to build that platform of insight, whether it's demographic psychographic, whether it's plugging into their world or their orbit, being ready to filter um, for the insights that matter and being able to, um, to be ready to act on that with purpose. I, lo- I love the idea of creating a, a value exchange every every interaction, uh, but I, reflecting on lots lots of our clients, lots of organisations that are looking to sell into the the global two thousand. You know, often they're organised in silos. So you've got different sales teams, you've got different marketing teams. I mean, it's hard enough organising uh, an executive dinner. How do you pull off multi-channel in a, in an optimal way? Would love to get. Thoughts, Robert, Julie, Adam. Well, yeah, of course, it's it's hard. You know, stakeholders have got competing priorities. They're in isolated geos. They're under-resourced. They're time poor. And I think ultimately, from my perspective, it comes down to how you govern your program, how you articulate the shared value that comes from account-based initiatives, and trying to make it as easy as possible for your for your partner stakeholders to come together and to convene and to plan and i think i i try to institute some some form of structured processes for marketing and sales and ops stakeholders to liaise as regularly as they can around a a, a multi-channel planning cycle obviously that's e- easier said than done but uh, I'll, I'll i'll hand over to my colleagues here for their view on that yeah so what you're saying adam is so daunting Right. And then to add to what you're saying is the whole MarTech stack and having a single source of truth, having some sort of 360 degree customer database so that you can track what's happening and what's the behavior of the customer, both on your owned properties, but also um, outside of, of the assets that you own and be able to take the internal and the external data and put that together, combine it with the sales data, the marketing data, the finance data, the delivery and customer success data. And it really is quite a difficult challenge that has to be, um, it really has to, they have to make some headway in order to be able to fully orchestrate that whole interaction across all those different silos, both on and offline. So... <laughs> Sounds like it's impossible. So I don't know, Robert. Is it possible to do this? Well, I think I think I think uh, yeah. I'll be listening to what uh, both Adam and Julie have been saying and nodding nodding along as they've been talking. Many many good points. I guess one, if you like, one macro point I would make is that uh, you know typically sales is organised uh, by account, 
marketing tends to be organized by function. So that makes it quite hard for sales and marketing kind of to work together. So I think that, you know, you know, Adam talked about you know the need to kind of to, to kind of plan that process. So I think it's partly around marketing embracing more of a, that kind of account centric view of the world to enable it to align with sales more effectively. Because I think you know pl- planning as ever um, is critical to this process. And whilst you know, the the old saying about you know no plan ever survives contact with the enemy, as it were, is certainly true uh, in this kind of account based marketing world. You've you've got to start somewhere. You've got to lay some foundations down. You've got to think about you know the things we've we've, we've, we've been talking about you know on this on this podcast. You know orchestration, multiple channels, how to raise the quality of your content. You've got to have a plan to support that, and you've got to try and you know integrate, align sales and marketing in much more fundamental ways than I don't think people often do right now. Yeah, I think I think this is this is an exercise that that really needs to be led by. By the marketing function, I think there are there are three things that that they can do that will uh, will, will give them that top down sponsorship. And the the first is to build some form of ABM charter, something that they can present and share with global sales and marketing leaders, and make it really clear and explicit to them that you've got shared and aligned objectives, and that you're fully transparent on the roles and responsibilities that that you share between you, and that you can talk to. The strategic outcomes that you know an integrated multi-channel account program will deliver, and if I think if you can if you can do that, you'll get top-down buy-in, and that brings a, a motivation and impetus of its own. And I'd, I'd follow that with with looking at setting up some form of ABM council. That could be a leadership board that features leaders from your sales functions, from marketing, from geos, from opcos or, or, or marketing ops. And I'd, I'd look to use that council as a steering group to discuss strategically at high level what those big challenges and opportunities are across uh, the, the wider account portfolio and have a pretty frank conversation about what sort of experiences you're, you're looking to drive what sort of resources you're going to need and what sort of planning is going to be required to drive growth where it's needed. And I think if you build into this decision-making and implementation process, you'll, you'll get forward motion. And the, the, the last bit that I'd add to it is I, I think the sooner you can start thinking about centers of excellence and um, some form of centralized program office, then um, you'll be the better for it. I think as, as a minimum, a function like that should be running and governing initiatives that coordinate and standardize all of your proposition planning, content development, and obviously all of your channel activation so that your core program runs slicker and that that stigma of multi-channel marketing being seen as being uh, um, too difficult is reduced. But I think I think what's critical is that that function has to show the art of the possible. This isn't just about sharing best practices. It has to inspire. Um, So start looking at ways that your COE can showcase the latest research, that it can tap into some of the insights that that we're drawing out of CBX. and, And perhaps with that, showcase the latest in creative and technological innovation in the category, whether it's other enterprises, partners, consultancies and um, even better enabling the group and the council to um, to get their hands on some of this capability. Fantastic some really good advice there I think I'm hearing a very clear rallying cry of a fundamental shift to to your marketing group and, and how you're aligning with sales um, and then also this idea of um, embedding capability building expertise 
for, from from the organisation up and across across the business. Um, Adam, I, I also really like the headline in the research that I saw. You know, if you're a challenger brand, now is your moment to capture market share. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what were the research findings, and what does it actually mean for for firms? Well, yeah, we're we're, we're tracking in um in in the latest cut of CBX that there's a a far higher likelihood this year than four years ago for um, enterprise to switch vendor um, when they're considering or actually when they have purchased um, a, a major deployment, whatever that is, whether that's infrastructure or um, or, or, or cloud services. And um, I think that that insight really, really does reflect the, the market mood right now and, and the need for every vendor, not just to have this sort of combined sort of offensive and defensive posture, but they've got to be alert and nimble for what mode to adopt when and where. Do, do, you know, do they have to uh, you know, protect what they've got or is there an opportunity for them to make inroads into new spaces? And I think that that puts quite a lot of pressure on vendors on how to, how to stay match fit and uh, you know, for that sort of mode shift and how to stay connected to the accounts. And like we were talking about um, at, at, at the top of the pod, um, I think they need to be able to preempt or mitigate this sort of risk of unconscious disassociation with their accounts. They've got to keep their standards high. They can never take customer relationships and loyalty for granted. So being proactive and and being determined about showing new ways that they can bring value to every customer engagement, whether it's art of the possible or the latest in R&D, or just serving up. Um, content and materials that give some utility and a different type of value, that's going to go a long way. And I think for the, the ABM practitioner, that means investing in staying close to that line of customer insight. And it also means engaging sales on where the at-risk accounts are or, or having the insight mechanisms in place to know that maybe engagement is flagging and being able to pick that up before it's too late. And then the more sort of offensive end of the spectrum, where there's opportunity to grow in new places or unseat a competitor, um, to be prepared to work even more closely with sales and their, their their business development teams and take an active role in planning strategically, designing tactics and embedding those into, into sales plans and being ready to talk explicitly in their propositions to the tension or challenge that that you as the um, prospective vendor um, wants to to, to exploit. And I think uh, the last point I'll make on it is that with so many people talking about this current cycle being the age of volatility, and um, uh, maybe it is, maybe that's true. I think it's it's easy in challenging times for uh, marketing leaders to step back and maybe even retreat into you know, demand gen based or volume based tactics. But perhaps what we're seeing is a a coming of age for account based practice to uh, entrench itself as as business critical for both growth and defense of, um, of account portfolios. Thanks, Adam, for sharing sharing your insights. I think particularly we're seeing this big chasm in, in greenfield accounts versus existing accounts. And uh, you've really talked specifically to, to some of the points that were, were, were top of mind. Julie, thinking about Adam's point around suppliers really needing to know their customers, how is this knowledge affecting the buying experience? Yeah, so 
Executives want to do business with solution providers who can do what they say, right? They, they deliver on their promises. Uh, it's all about risk mitigation. Uh, so when it comes down to the evaluation criteria that executives are using to make these purchase decisions, they're looking for solution providers that have relevant track records, but they also want solution providers that can demonstrate that they have both industry and account knowledge. Very important. We've also been talking about the importance of relationships. That's key to the buyer's risk mitigation. And that connection, as we've been saying all along, is human to human. And it cannot be underestimated, even in a B2B buying process. You know, digital delivery, digital interactions are good, but they're just not sufficient. You know, the buying process can't be 100% digital. As um, Robert was saying, we know from our research that one of the first things executives do is when they have a business problem or they have an opportunity, they contact their account managers. And so for a purchase process that can take really, uh, you know, for these high consideration services and solutions, 18 months or even two years, uh, you can have information exchange on multiple channels between multiple people. Your salespeople are involved. The subject matter experts are involved. You've got your your corporate executives involved. You've got in-person meetings. You've got virtual meetings. It, you know, it's, a, it's a long process. And that multi-channel orchestration with the human touch being really front and center is incredibly important. They want to do business with people who know them understand their business problems and can deliver on their promises. Got it. And is, is there a challenge here in, in many ways? We just discussed the human digital handoff and orchestration of, of all of that activity. Is, is there a challenge in embedding customer knowledge and translating it in quite meaningful and, and memorable ways with, with people in, in your customers or in, in your accounts? Again, can the human element get lost along the way as organizations build all this knowledge and insight on their accounts? Is it, is it always leveraged? Are there, are there some risks here to watch out for? Well, you know, we, we would like to think that it's being leveraged. And I think that's one of the problems that marketers have is we, we build all these sales tools and we hope that the salespeople are using them. But sometimes the salespeople revert back to doing what they're most comfortable with. And if they're not used to uh, doing this kind of challenger or epiphany kind of marketing and selling or thought leadership-based selling, they'll revert back to what they're used to. Um, so I think they need a lot of enablement in order to understand how to use the insight and the tools that marketing creates so that they can forge that um, very intimate relationship that's based on the knowledge that the company and they themselves have of the client. Uh, Robert, Julie, Adam, thanks so much for, for joining us. We've been talking about how to rehumanize the process and our latest findings uh, from CBX. And it's something we're always thinking about here at Momentum ITSMA. Please do get in touch if you'd like to talk further about any of the topics we've touched on or, or feel free to suggest other areas that you'd like to hear, hear more about or discuss further. This podcast is brought to you by Momentum ITSMA, a leading B2B growth consultancy and pioneers of account-based marketing. Learn more at MomentumITSMA.com.